This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody. Coming up on today's Brew Analytics Podcast, episode number 170. I will be talking to my man, Nate Gary from WGR 550, sports talk show radio host there. And we're going to have ourselves, frankly, a pretty uncomfortable conversation because I know Buffalo Bills fans do not want to hear this, but it's been flowing around social media all week and we're certainly going to talk about it today. Josh Allen, Tyrod Taylor, the comparisons, the stats, they're similar It's a valid comparison, whether you like it or not, at least right now. And we are going to talk about it today. Now, of course, the numbers eerily similar. Tyrod's last 20 starts compared to Josh's first 20 starts. And Jerry Sullivan pointed it out on Twitter on Wednesday. Hopefully, of course, that was Tyrod Taylor's ceiling. And this is Josh Allen's floor. Nate and I. We'll break it all down for you. He's going to have a ton of takes on that. Also going to talk about Sean McDermott getting rather testy with the local media on Wednesday over questions about the offense and their struggles. I'll play that clip and we'll break that down. We'll talk about the offense and on the defense a little bit as well. And we'll talk about the rest of the schedule, including two games coming up against Miami and Denver that essentially have become must wins for the Buffalo Bills because outside of that playoff picture, that AFC wildcard race, it's going to get tight, and the Bills cannot afford to lose either of these next two games. So anyway, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what Nate's been up to at WGR. Plenty more, my man, Nate Gary. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before I get to that, I want to let you know that today's podcast is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo theme design is sold every two weeks. Here's the best part, folks. For every single shirt that they sell, A donation is made to either a local family in need or to a very worthy charity. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate, get this number, over $650,000. Del Reed and his entire crew, they do such an amazing job enriching the lives of many, many people. It's just great to see. Not to mention, by the way, these are really good looking shirts. They look good. They're designed well. They're very comfortable. They look sporty on you. Nothing to not like about 26 Shirts. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do it. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, episode 170. We're on. Hope you're all well. I care. I know my guest cares too. In fact, my guest is WGR 550 Sports Radio Talk Show host. He hosts Sports Talk Saturday and is all over the air on Buffalo Bills Sunday on GR. Also a pretty active dude on Twitter, man. One of my one of my favorite follows. Certainly one of the most interesting ones out there. My man, Nate Gary. What's going on, dude? Nothing, man. You know, they actually used to call me uh Nate Gary. They used to my nickname was Nate Gary Cares, and no, that's not true. But <laughs> I, I do I do care in, in a lot of ways too much about uh, especially in the Twitter sphere, you know, we've had this conversation on a podcast before. It's a, uh, it's both a humbling and maddening place that Twitter, uh, and the last two days of Bill's Twitter, uh, I think encapsulates that pretty well. No, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it does. I'm definitely going to hit on that too. in just a couple of minutes before that though, since the last time we talked, because I, I believe I had you on the podcast, like around July, it was right before mm-hmm. I came to Buffalo and I added 20, three different spots to my 
chicken wing power ranking places, places oh, that I have yeah. not tried. All right. Me and you, if nothing else. And by the way, we did get to meet not as long as we wanted to, but we did get to meet each other in person in downtown Buffalo when I was up there. I think it was like my first or second night. Got to have a beer together. Thanks for the beer, by the way. It was on course. <laughs> but anyway, of course. there's something else. We have one thing in common, dude. Macy's Place Pizzeria. I'm going to plug uh, them right off the top right here. That was like, I don't remember if it was, I don't know when it was when I had them, when, like what order I had it, but I'll, I I can't forget it. I remember it like it was yesterday, man. I go into this little pizza place that has got to be the size of like my bedroom, you know, right. little tiny it's parking that. lot. Yeah, exactly. Little tiny parking lot. I meet two of my cousins up there and, you know, one of them told me I got to try this place. I'm like, eh, okay, whatever. You know, I'm always down to try somewhere else because that's kind of my thing. I keep going to new places and I walk in and there's literally one table there. And I mean, I'm not, I don't live in Buffalo anymore, so I don't even have a house to bring my shit back to. So I obviously got the, we only got wings. We didn't get pizza. And there's one table there. We got lucky. Nobody was sitting there. So we sit down and I, I think I got like medium, half medium and then half, half like uh, Cajun medium or Cajun out. I can't remember what. Holy shit, man. I, Dude, I, the Cajun mediums, oh, oh, I just got the chills, man. I just got the chills. I fell in love with them instantly. It's without a question. Again, I went to 23 places on that trip specifically. That place was number one. I've been to 60 overall, and I got them like in my top six or seven right now. Just absolutely god incredible places, man. Buffalo never ceases to uh, amaze me when it comes to getting good food. I God, I miss that. You know, I've become good friends with Nick, the owner. Um, and, you know, anytime he's got a new pie, he's messaging me on Instagram, letting me know about it. And, you know, the other day I, uh, he, he had two pizzas that I really wanted to try. The, uh, he had the uh, garbage plate. And then uh, the one that I had, which was maybe one of the best pizzas I've ever had was the pastrami pie. And it had garlic butter base with cheese, pastrami, onion and like a mustard drizzle and dude it sounds like it should be like gross because but everybody that loves pastrami like this is like one of the best pizzas i've ever had and in that order he tossed in a side of 10 wings and it were these i don't know barbecue jerk oh dude like it's just any the first time i actually tried macy's place was uh the train wreck guys they did the the wing review right and yeah they asked me nate where do you want to go and i said well i've never had macy's place and i keep hearing about them let's go so we ended up doing the the podcast eating the wings and i was like okay these are the best wings i've ever had and and listen i've lived here my whole life i just don't go around saying that and nobody in buffalo goes around saying that right so you know they're good i actually left the podcast went back to macy's place picked up a large pizza and 20 and 20 wings brought it home from to my girlfriend and that's been the story i like i'm eating there once a week now and yeah maybe my my belt line doesn't like me but i'll tell you what my stomach sure does <laughs> i have i've yet to have their pizza again i was only in town for a short amount of time and i was going to a different place every time but the wings absolutely phenomenal and you know whether it's macy's place or dalmatia hotel or whatever it may be i love finding a place that's kind of different than the trendy norm yes. places because whenever somebody talks about buffalo wings it used to be anchor bar and dust it's still Duff's, maybe to a smaller degree. Anchor Bar, pretty much, people know it's a touristy place now. And respect to Anchor Bar, but they're not on that level anymore. But anyway, my point is, everyone always says Elmo's, and they always say Barbell. And don't get me wrong, I love those places too. But to find places, low-key places like that, but I take a lot of pride in that. And not just that, it's a lot of enjoyment. I love seeing those little small businesses, those mom-and-pop places get some uh, you know, respect and notoriety that they deserve. Well, you know, the thing is, too, and I mean, you and I could talk about chicken, chicken wings, probably for two straight podcasts without running our <laughs> things to talk about. But what I will say about Buffalo that makes it unique is, you know, I, I don't think like chicken wings are as like good chicken wings are as hard to find as people in Buffalo make it seem like, right. you know, like you could go other places and get a decent chicken wing sure. and it not be the end of the world. And you could say, wow, this is a good chicken wing without having your buffalonian revoked. Right. But I also think that the unique thing about Buffalo is. Sure, there is like every city you go to, you go to New York City, you could find three or four joints that have really good chicken wings. The thing with Buffalo is you could find these little joints all over the place. I mean, there are 60 places within the greater Buffalo area and up in North Tonawanda and south towards the South Towns. It's just like you go in between those. There are 60 small places that you can get the best wings of any city in the country. And it's just this little hole in the wall. It's so. It's, I'll say this. Buffalo and our small chicken wings is a lot like in the South and their small hole in the wall barbecue. People yeah. in the South know that you don't go to sticky fingers. You don't go to these big, 
you know, uh, chain barbecue restaurants, you find the place that looks the dirtiest and you go in the place that doesn't have chairs is usually the place you want to be. <laughs> you know, you're hundred percent right. And coming back to the chicken wing thing, it took me leaving Buffalo to really understand what you're saying right now, because I was probably spoiled and took it for granted that I could get a, at worst, a decent wing almost anywhere. You come down to a place like Florida, there's so few and far in between. Now there's a causative pizza, like 10 minutes from my house near Sarasota. So I'm kind of a little bit spoiled with that. But my point is outside of that, bro, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing down here. Right. You're right. Buffalo, you could hit almost no matter what area you live in, there's going to be three or four spots. I don't care what neighborhood you're in Riverside, West side, East side, Chicktawaga don't matter. You're always going to find three or four spots at a minimum in each neighborhood down here. You got to go to like take an hour, hour and a half drive. If, if unless except for Casa, of course, for me personally, but outside of that, they're just, so scarce. But you know what's not scarce down here is Chick-fil-A. All right. So oh. all this stuff in Buffalo, the buzz when the first one opened and now there's a second one opening. I kind of got a kick out of that because again, there's no lines down here. It's just, it's one of a million places. Florida's like uh corporate franchise restaurant, America. You know what I mean? And you go down the street, oh, yeah. there's something literally at every little plaza. But I saw on Twitter, that video that's already going viral. I think it was from WGRZ, one of their reports. That 11-year-old kid, Sam, who won... Uh, the man. Yeah, he's winning Chick-fil-A for a year. His reaction was the funniest shit I've heard in forever. You know, I'm going to play that clip for you right now, and then I'm going to get a reaction from you after. Well, uh, I'm here in the freezing cold getting free chicken sandwiches because the food tastes great. I mean, there's no... There's no I mean... It's chicken. It's fried chicken. It's fried chicken. I like fried chicken. <laughs> that, kid's gonna, that kid's a stud, man. He, that's kid's the- a star. Kid's a star in the making. The best part is, is what's more American than eating a fried chicken sandwich than also having Miley Cyrus playing in the background yeah. party in the USA? Like what? What a what a video. So, like so maybe should get discussions. It's at the end of the year for like like. Twitter con- commentary of the year. Yeah, I don't know where that kid goes to school, but I imagine that he's... He's going to be his... I'll tell you what, he just got himself a nice long-term girlfriend out of that video. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Are you a Chick-fil-A guy? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm a fan too. I mean, I'm not so... It's uh, chicken sandwich. I, I get... I get. Listen, I am not this kind of, like the snob that if you don't like Chick-fil-A because of their religious beliefs, so be it. I don't allow... I, I, it's separation of chicken and church. I separate them, you know, like I just like government, you separate that stuff. I just like the chicken. That's all I care about. If they, you know, have questionable values, if their chicken tastes good, I just want to eat the chicken. I don't want to talk about the questionable values. So you <laughs> know, like you. I'll eat Popeye's and I'll eat, I'll eat Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A to me is the star of the show though. What's, what's your waiting time for Chick-fil-A? Like what's the maximum amount of time you're willing to wait to get your Chick-fil-A food? It's a great question. Um, I guess the question is, or my answer should be, what is the longest I've ever waited for one? And would I wait longer? And the answer to that is the longest I've waited for a chicken sandwich uh, from Chick-fil-A was just about an hour. Uh, And I would tell you that that was an experience that I didn't necessarily enjoy, but I was bought in and, you know, like I paid and I was waiting and that's that. So um, I probably wouldn't wait longer than an hour. All right. One more thing. Now I want to get to uh, some Bill's talk. We got a couple touchy topics that we're obviously going to hit on. Last time we had talked on the podcast, you along with uh, your boy, Joe DiBiase, you're all set to take over for Howard Simon on the Bill's countdown right, yeah. to kick off Sunday morning for game show. You were getting ready to do that. You hadn't done it yet. And also replacing uh, Sal on the Sports Talk Saturday show. Now mm-hmm. that you're doing both, how's that been going for you? It's awesome. You know, I, it, the, the game day stuff is just as cool as I thought it was going to be. And if not cooler and um, you know, Joe and I have gotten a lot of great reception from that uh, and, and kind of so far through the season. Um, I, I kind of had the feeling that, that our show had the juice when they were at five and one, I'm thinking this is the year, Joe, like whatever we, whatever change has happened, it happened for the right reasons. Cause clearly the team is good and they're responding. Um, but you know, since then I'll tell you, you know, like last week and, uh, during post game, you know, I, I got very animated. And one of my favorite things about, um, you know, the platform that I have is um, that, you know, a lot of people uh, channeling that anger is very difficult to do for people is they just don't have anybody to listen, you know? So sometimes yeah. 
um, when I'm on the radio and, and I've got that, that feeling. Sometimes I'm actually very thankful, though, and I, and I mentioned this after the game last week. If I had the opportunity to be on the radio right at 4 o'clock after those football games, man, you know, like I, I need an hour and a half to let myself cool off, and, and I'm happy that, that, that I got that opportunity after the Cleveland game because it was so frustrating. Um, but, yeah, man, it's, it's been an awesome ride so far this year. Really looking forward to uh, how the rest of the season – I'll tell you what, I'm actually very, I'm excited about Thanksgiving, um, you know, and the, not everybody would be happy for working 12 hours on Thanksgiving and not getting really to eat any uh, food and hang out with family. But uh, I'm really excited about that game. Prime time, you know, everyone's going to be kind of watching, listening. So uh, I'm really looking forward to that, to that Thanksgiving game. Now, when people tune in in the morning before a game, no matter who they're playing, I don't care if it's at home, on the road, whoever the opponent mm-hmm. is, you're filled to hope. You know what I mean? You're optimistic that day. Sometimes at four o'clock, four o five, four thirty, whatever right. it may be, the game don't go your way. The, the the mood is different. I would imagine That's right. those post game calls. Um, they're they're the tone is a lot different afterwards, especially after a loss. Obviously, even after wins, though, you know, and I mean that's kind of that's been a part of the the sort of argument is is it really just to shut up? They're winning, enjoy it. Um, because if that's the case, and you know, this is going to be something that that we talk about with Tyrod in, in a few moments here, but. You know, at the end of the day, this team two years ago went nine and seven, made it to the playoffs and had a huge turnover. So nine and seven got you to the playoffs and you lost in the first round. And now people are sort of looking at it as that's not what they want. They don't want this team to just back into the playoffs, lose in the first round and then be in the same spot they are next year. You know, so, you know, a lot of things about this football team um, this year are frustrating. um, But at the same time, they're six and three and. Um, I know I'm excited about that number, but there are a lot of things that I want more from in this football team. And I think a lot of our sentiments are for the people that aren't just the shut up and enjoy six and three comes down to listen, like the atmosphere in the AFC has never been better for the Buffalo Bills. And arguably, I mean, you, a lot of people and I'm, I'm probably in this group that think they're squandering an opportunity to be a legitimate AFC threat because of how weak the conference is. And, and I think because of the, how lousy their offense has been is that, I just hope they don't squander an opportunity to win a game or two in the playoffs um, because their offense can't figure things out. That's a good point. Now, when it comes to Josh Allen and you mentioned Tyrod, I've done everything I can on this podcast pretty much actually since I started, to be honest with you, a year and a half ago, to avoid any comparisons between the Mm -hmm. two. I hate that topic, but I mean, look, it was inevitable that it's going to happen. When you look at the records, you look at the numbers, how could you not? And of course, Jerry Sullivan on Wednesday, he had a tweet. And now I know not everyone who's listens, maybe they're not on Twitter, so they don't know anything about what me and you are talking about right now. And we'll talk more about that. But Jerry Sullivan, of course, who used to work for the Buffalo News, who's now a radio host himself, had a tweet about Tyrod Taylor's last 20 games with the Bills, where he averaged 195 yards passing per game, and the Bills went 11-9 in those 20 starts. Then he mentioned Josh Allen's first 20 starts, 196 passing yards per game and the bills are 11 and nine in those starts. So essentially not essentially like literally the records are the same and the passing yards are exactly the same minus one more yard per game for Josh Allen. Again, you just said the word it's inevitable that these were these comparisons were going to come. Now, you know how a lot of the reaction went on Jerry's tweet, which because of who the person was that tweeted it, it's automatic. And you know, maybe his motives aren't the most purest and maybe not maybe. I know that he likes to drum up some controversies, drum up some mentions. That's what Sully's ammo always has been. That's what I, most right. col- most exactly columnists right. do that. Most radio shows, hosts, TV shows, that's what we do. You know what I mean? You want to get a reaction. I mean, you're not going to be a dick about it, but that's kind of like what you want to do. But when you strip that all down and you hear those numbers, to some extent at least, it's very fair. Now, you tweeted something. I want to read a tweet that you wrote. You said, trying to, trying to see both sides of the tie rod thing. There are a faction of folks who are still pissed the Bills decided to move on, and I'm just not one of them. But how mad can we be? Most of the Tyrod truthers just want us to hold Allen to the same standard we did Taylor. And then you tweeted, you followed up and said, if it was really just about wins, like some preach, being a McDermott, don't let Tyrod Taylor walk, and he at the very minimum starts the 2018 season as a starter. They said that just making the playoffs isn't a resume builder for a quarterback. Very interesting take. I thought it was a really interesting take. I want you to elaborate on that a little bit too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it, it kind of, that, that take sort of just kind of came over me as I was discussing it with somebody else. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, 
this is the precedent that they set, right? Like they said that just getting to the playoffs, getting there and losing in the first round isn't something you can build a, a quarterback's resume around. And I, I understand that context is void and, and everything we talk about with this quarterback in general, when Josh Allen's the, the guy I'm talking about here is everything is being compared. It's being talked about in this vacuum, right? Where it's void of context. And, and I disagree with that sentiment at times because I, I don't think anyone's looking at Tyrod Taylor and Josh Allen and saying, I want Tyrod Taylor back. And, and I think that's where a lot of people sort of got lost in that tweet is it's not Jerry coming out and saying Tyrod Taylor is better. It's Jerry saying we held this quarterback to this standard. And it's not just us as a fan base or as a media, this organization, these same people held this quarterback to a a certain standard. And for them to now have drafted this guy. And and I understand the context. He didn't have six years to sit and win a Super Bowl and and run scout teams and get looks from John Harbaugh and, and a great offense there for a long time in Baltimore and then come here and start like, I get that. And I'm not suggesting that that context doesn't matter or it shouldn't be relevant context. But at the same time, when you look at this in a vacuum, the the standard that was set by this organization, by these exact people um, that that, you know, not only just getting to the to the playoffs and winning or losing a game and and having the statistics that are incredibly similar and having offenses tell you the truth that are worse now than they were when Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback in terms of just raw passing numbers. Um, Yeah. Like I think it's totally fair for the faction of the fan base that are still pissed that this team moved on from Tyrod Taylor, because let's, let's face it. I mean, up until Tyrod left, Tyrod was the probably best quarterback that we had during that seven 17 year drought. I mean, of course you could make the case about Drew Bledsoe. I understand the numbers he put up. I was alive and relevant during that, but you know, I think at, at some point, the, those people that that look at Tyrod Taylor and say, how could you move on without even giving him an opportunity to come back and be a place setter, right? Or just be uh, sort of a bridge quarterback here. And listen, <laughs> you just look at that 2018 season and you could see a, a, why a lot of those people are pissed. They, they trot out Nathan, Nathan Peterman uh, for a half of football before he gets benched. And then, and then you've got, you know, Derek Anderson coming in off the street to start games and, and Matt Barkley, you know, so like, I get it. Like I, I do get it. And I, I can see both sides of the argument, but I think too, with Josh is this, it's this idea of patience and how it's preached. And, you know, I think we're at, a lot of us are at a point 20 games in where I think we want to see this offense be in a better place. And I don't, I think we can all want this offense to be in a better place, but also realize that it's not a finished product and this. They are only 10 weeks into playing with each other, this offense. So like there, there is a lot to unpack with the, the argument. Um, but I think at, at some point here, like the bills offense needs to show something. They're 30th in passing DVOA. That, that has to be better. That's b- bottom of the barrel. And they'd be worse had the New York jets not been one of the worst passing football teams since they started, you know, since they started the established DVOA. So, you know, at, at some point here, this passing offense needs to take a step. And it, the sooner Josh Allen does it, the easier that this fan base is going to breathe at night. You know, I asked you a couple of minutes ago about how the tone might change after a loss, you know, with fans. I have a hard time accepting fans who just can't be objective about things and they just want to attack the source instead of dealing with what the, uh, right. you know, what the content the of it is. Exactly. Yeah. What the substance is. Now, uh, if maybe say Howard from the radio station, maybe if he tweets that or, or Joe B from the athletic, somebody who, you know, is just an unbiased person who's just making an observation. It kind of forces you to take on the context of it. But when somebody like Sully tweets it, it's just an easy get after this guy and discredit him immediately as a hater and this and that. And does that frustrate you when Bills fans sometimes, and I'm sure it's like that. I don't want to just want to call out Bills fans because I could say Dolphins fans, Jets fans, any fan base or any team. I'm sure there's a portion of fans that are like that with that respective team, but how frustrating is it sometimes when people don't want to hear the context and they just always find an excuse because I'm finding it increasingly as a podcast host and people, you know, I get feedback, some great, some not so great, or, you know, mentions in my tweets and stuff like that. It's, I find it, it's getting increasingly difficult for me to just brush it off and, and deal with some, some fans right now at this point who just, you know, they don't want to address what you're actually talking about and they just go after you personally. Like they did with Sully. Does that bother you? Yeah, absolutely. Especially with Sully and, and like, you know, people that, that want to come out and like I saw tweets about sale. It's like, first of all, if you've never had an opportunity, Pat, I don't know if you have or not, like had an opportunity to meet 
Jerry Sullivan. Jerry Sullivan oh, couldn't be, yeah, he couldn't be any different than the persona that he, you know, sort of relays on Twitter and, and in, uh, in his however many years of journalism. He's just a different kind of guy. He's older guy, right? I mean, he's in the he's in this generation of social media that he his news consumption and his news ability did not begin in this space. So when he's coming out here and he's sort of using social media the same way that like now I'm I'm not comparing the two, but like Donald Trump uses social media as a way to convey his messages because right. he's not doing traditional methods of of communication. Right. And Jerry's sort of the same way as he's sort of using Twitter as this, just like we all do, right? Like we're like how I do it. It's, it, it's, it's a better way to get a, a conversation started. And with Jerry, like all these people that come out and, you know, Oh, well, we're, we're, we're protecting Jerry and, and everyone give Jerry credit for asking a question. And listen, I think at the end of the day that Jerry is sure. Uh, I mean, I can understand why people get upset with Jerry because he's negative all the time, but it's also like, you guys have to realize my guys, my age, um, you know, we grew up reading Jerry, but Jerry has been around for much longer than me being young and reading. And the things that he's been through and have had to deal with asking the same questions for two and a half decades can really get to you. You know, like, like these guys have been around inept, have been around just incompetence for years and years and years. And, you know, so sorry that they're not willing to just buy right in, right? Like, I I can see it from both sides. I'll defend Jerry because Jerry's always been a kind guy to me. He's always helped me when he's had the opportunity to help me. There are multiple young journalists. There are multiple young media personalities in this Buffalo uh, market right now who owe our entire career to Jerry. Like Joe B is one of them, right? Like Joe B gets noticed by Jerry Sullivan. I get noticed by Joe B and it's like, boom, that's how both of us are in this industry. So, you know, it, it's funny when you look at it from that point of view is I'll defend Jerry to the, to the end of time, just because I know he's a good guy and I know his intentions. And in this particular argument, I just think as much as we want to say, well, context, Jerry, and what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to ask Sean McDermott a 14 minute question. Uh, and ask him about and ask him in a, a dissertation of, hey, just so you know, in this season, Tyrod Taylor did this. And I understand the context behind what Tyler Taylor did, but I'd like your opinion. on No, you're just going to say, hey, they have the same numbers, coach. Isn't that a little worrisome for you? Like, of course, you're not going to provide the context in, an, in a question. Like, come on, guys. You know, like, I get it. And, and, and to be honest with you, I thought it was I thought it was interesting, the, the, the response that we got. I'm glad that Jerry asked the question. And I hope that he keeps in Dan Fates, the same thing of 13 Wham in Rochester. He gets McDermott going a little and he ends up kind of storming off the stage. All they're asking him, this head coach is, what's your frustration level with this offense for the 30th ranked passing offense? And, what? You know, and, and it's just like, coach, if you can't answer these questions with a level head, you know, like, what are we doing here? This is your football team. They're 30th ranked passing. You got to give us a little feedback here. Like it's your job. So, you know, I, I think it's a really interesting argument. Um, and it's, it's based around totally fair, I think, criticisms of the quarterback. I'm glad you brought up Sean McDermott from that press conference for one because I'm sure a lot of people listening might not have got an opportunity to see or hear that press conference. You mentioned Dan Fates. He was asking him a question, kind of pressing him about the struggles of the offense and how they're failing to score points. I'm going to play that clip. It's about 48 seconds or so. And after it's done, I'm going to get your take on what you feel like the mood of Sean McDermott is right now. And if you can kind of see that he is getting a little bit testy with the media. First, let me play that clip for people who didn't hear it. Are you frustrated with that success rate of your offense? Or where's your level of frustration with it? What success rate? Uh, the success rate of your offense. Or the failure of it to succeed. Are you frustrated what's, with it? What's the success rate? I'm not sure. Is there a number you're, you're referencing? Just points per game and just the quality of your offense. Are you frustrated with it? Well, give me a more specific. I need, I need more specific. I mean, you're throwing a, you, are you? Am I, am I concerned with, am I frustrated with the success of our offense? Yeah. I mean, they're 25th in points per game. Is, there, is that enough? Or where is the level of frustration? I guess Move the ball, score points. If we don't do that, I'm frustrated. Simply put. Okay, thanks. And then at that point, he cuts out and he walks away. Does he sound to you like a coach who would be on a 2-7 and seven team right now as opposed to a 6-3 and three team? You know what I mean? It's a little, a little surprising. He definitely 
You could see him. He was wearing that frustration and on his sleeve on Wednesday. He wasn't really trying to hide it either. Yeah, and you know, I, I guess I don't understand the combative nature of the question. It wasn't a it wasn't a combative question. It was, coach, your offense hasn't been that great. Uh, their success rate, and 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 listen, and I think a lot of us might say, okay, coach has got a point. Like, what metric are you asking him to talk about? But Dan wasn't sitting there asking, hey, coach, I need to know what you think about the 30th ranked passing DVOA. And what in that, like, he wasn't asking a complex question. Right. He was asking, the offense isn't good. What's your frustration level with it? What what feedback do you have for us? What are you working on? And, and you know, for the coach to get that upset or to get that frustrated over a very simple question being a very fair question, by the way, because I, I want to keep going back to the point that the thing that pisses me off about this offense the most is that this is a season where so far they're six and three, right, man? They're six and three. And I truly believe if they have a the 15th ranked passing offense in football this year, or if they're just average, they might be nine and oh, they might be at the very least eight and one. Yeah. And to me, that has to frustrate people that can't sit well with people. And the people that say, Nate, well, the game winning come or the game winning drives and the fourth quarter comebacks um, and this and that. And I say, yeah, guys, well, they, he never, you know, Tyrod never did that. And I agree. Tyrod did never come back in the fourth quarter. That was the one thing that you looked at. And yeah, Josh does that. But if Josh can play well for the first three quarters, he doesn't need five comebacks in a season because that offense, the defense is doing enough against the, the opposing offense that all you need to do is score 21 points. And think about this. If they score 21 points against the Cleveland Browns, they win. They score 21 points against the New England Patriots. They win. Now, if they score 21 against the Eagles, obviously they lose by 10 still. But my point there is, is this team should be better. And that's the frustrating part for, for me, who isn't just a Allen or die guy. I, I play this very even keeled. I, I'm, I'm trying not to take too much from the ups and too much from the downs. Um, but you know, that's polarizing. It's very difficult to do is you either have to be, I love Allen or I hate Allen and anyone in the middle is just kind of whatever. Right. And yeah. I want to be in the middle on this. It, it's safe here in the middle. And, you know, I, at first, I, I think at the beginning of the season, I really wanted to defend Allen because I thought a lot of the criticism wasn't fair, but that game last week really broke that ability for me to look at it from I'm on one side or the other. And now I'm sort of sitting in the middle until I feel comfortable that I can move one way or the other. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I've been, I've defended Josh Allen plenty because I feel like plenty of games where I thought he kind of stunk for three quarters and you talked about him. And then he played really good in the fourth and they find a way to win. That Cincy game, the Miami game, he made some plays out in the stretch for sure. It, it is frustrating. And one of the things about the Tyrod whole, Tyrod and Josh Allen thing, that kind of got under my skin a little bit, which to be in fairness to people who were saying that they were correct, it was Tyrod's last 20 games against Josh's first 20. You know, that this is Tyrod's um, ceiling and this is Josh Allen's floor. And I definitely think that there's some context to that that's correct. Now, Joe, Buffalo wins on Twitter, who absolutely drives me nuts. And sometimes some of his shit on Twitter gets a little out of hand. I'm going to say that and I'm going to be, I'm being generous with your boy right here. Okay. But he, he put out a tweet earlier this week too. So if you want to take away, and I'm not going to read every stat because, again, this isn't a stat podcast. I don't want to sit here for an hour reading off a bunch of numbers. But his point was, all right, well, let's scrap Tyrod's last 20 starts and let's say his first 20 starts. His stats are just as good and maybe a little bit better than what Josh Allen's are right now. I just, you know, Nate, I've tried really hard to not have this conversation because I've always hated the comparison for starters. And you hit on this earlier. Tyrod came to Buffalo. He spent four years in Baltimore. Now, he didn't start. He was a backup, but he learned from Joe Flacco, who at the time, at least, was a great quarterback, or at least a very good one. He had a head coach, John Harbaugh, an amazing organization in Baltimore. You know, Josh Allen comes to Buffalo as a rookie on what was kind of a mess of a roster, even though they were coming off a playoff spot. I mean, this is a team that makes the playoffs, and instead of acquiring talent, they're trading it away. You know what I mean? They're kind of going towards that rebuilding. So for that reason alone, this really makes it a comparison that I've always hated. But when you look at the numbers and forget the numbers, when you look at the record of these guys as starters too, it's again, it's an inevitable comparison that needs to be made at this point anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and listen, like the comparison can easily be just thrown out the window, right? There's this comparison doesn't have to be a talking point. The offense just has to go out and and produce and score points. 
Um, and and I liked the frequency in which Brian Dable began the preseason in the beginning of the year. They were coming out and throwing the football a lot and with 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 high frequency and high success. Um, and, and I think, you know, they, they became a little complacent. They became a little conservative after Josh Allen has turned the ball over a whole bunch. And now the one thing that nobody wants to see is this quarterback. And I mean, nobody, even people that want to see Josh Allen fail. Um, nobody wants to see Josh Allen become this game manager. If, if he's going to fail, I want him to fail going down. I want him to fail, you know, throwing the football down the field. Um, because if not, then you're never really going to know what his true potential or his ceiling is. And, you know, by, by creating a guy that throws the ball five yards past the line of scrimmage, and he's not exactly a hundred percent that right now, but the, the offense, you know, as a whole, uh, under Brian Dable's toolage has, I thought peaked last year and they completely changed the schematics of the passing offense this year. And I think a lot of it had to do with the pieces that they got around Josh Allen, but I think that John Brown needs more yards after catch. He's catching the football and getting tackled. And to me, it's either for two reasons. It's because the quarterback isn't accurate or because the offensive coordinator is running routes that always come back to the quarterback. And the more film you watch, the more you realize John Brown is turning around and catching the football with his numbers to the defender. It's impossible for him to turn around in a lot of cases and get yards after catch. And the same with Cole Beasley. I want to see more routes that John Brown could catch a football and run up field and be John Brown, you know, like, we're going to see a John Brown potentially get over a thousand yards this season. He's well on pace for that with almost no yards after catch. So imagine what this guy could do if he could take a ball and take it 25, 30, 50, hundred yards, you know? So I, I just look at it from that, that this offense, they need better route combinations. They need better passing scheme that fits what Josh Allen does and hell screens, you know, like Carson Wentz threw for almost 200 yards against the bills. And he threw one pass past the five yard marker. You know, he's just throwing to his running backs. He's throwing to his wide receivers at the line of scrimmage and, you know, give Josh Allen those 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 easy yards, and you'll be you'd be surprised on on how the other yards sort of follow. Yeah, you know that's a really good point too. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking of Dawson Knox running some people over. It's pretty much the only yak catches I've really seen this year. I haven't right. really seen much of Beasley or Brown for that matter. You know, when it comes to Josh Allen too, obviously the long ball has been the big issue this year. I mean, he's got several issues, but the long ball is the biggest one. He's probably I don't know, zero for 10, 11, whatever, maybe. I had Nick Filipowski on the podcast earlier this week. And when it came to Josh Allen and the long ball, Nick suggested that it could be at least in part mental. And just like in golf, but I know you're a big golf guy when it comes to putting or something, maybe he's got the case of the yips, you know, Mm -hmm. a mental block in his head that with these poor deep passes, he's worried about the underthrowing or throwing interceptions. So now he's selling it five yards over the guy's head. It happened in Cleveland. Very big play of the game. Isaiah McKenzie gets two, three steps behind the defense and Josh Allen sails it over his head. Do you agree at all? And again, you know, you associate mainly yips with golf and, and putting. I mean, Chuck Mm -hmm. Dalbach it happened in baseball. Do you see any credibility that at all that maybe, I don't know, maybe the yips, you know, that just sounds like a really bad word to say about a quarterback, but maybe some of the reason why Josh Allen's missing so badly on these long throws is that he's just inside his own head too much right now. Well, I can tell you this, that, playing the position for as long as I did, um, I had a very similar problem that Josh had. Um, and it came right around the age of 14, 15, 16. Um, and it was when I was playing both, you know, little league pop Warner and school. And one of the issues that I was having was that the pop Warner had a smaller football than I was playing with at school. So I would go from practicing with a small ball to practicing with big, with the big ball yeah. and then playing on a Saturday with the morning, a big ball, and then afternoon, evening with the smaller ball. So I'm that it messed with my head a little bit. And I was able to throw the smaller football on Pop Warner. I mean, probably farther than a lot of kids that I was playing against. The problem was, is every time my receivers got open, I was overthrowing them by 5, 10, 15 yards. It just wasn't close. And it didn't take me until I got into the JV level at school where I was constantly using that football and I was learning how to place the arc on it. And Really, at the end of the day, I think what Josh is doing is every single time he unloads to throw it deep, he throws it the same way. He's throwing a 75-yard bomb when he needs 45, right, or he needs 50. And I learned very quickly that all of that is, if we want to talk about golf, I don't think it's a case of the yips. I think it's a case of his chipping game. And how I'll equate this is when you're chipping around the green, you have to have a certain level of feel. And, you know, you might have a club. You might use your pitching wedge. I use my pitching wedge around the green. 
I can hit my pitching wedge 115, 120 yards, right? Mm -hmm. And when I'm around the green, I need 15 yards. So I'm using a club that when I hit full speed, I can hit up to 115 yards, but I need 15 here. So it's all about understanding, you know, that feel to the game. And I just don't think right now that Josh is feeling that deep ball. And, you know, in that first game to John Brown, I like his back shoulder throws. I think he's made significant improvement. Dawson Knox had a crappy drop on that first drive um, against the Browns last week. Yeah. He put it on the money back shoulder. Yep. Um, he did it the week, per, the week before. I'd like to see more back shoulder one-on-one throws. Cause guess what, man, teams are running man up against the bills. They don't, they're not worried about the bills beating them deep. So they're running it, hit him with the back shoulder. I'm fine with that. If you don't hit, one of those over the shoulder, I'm walking into the end zones. By the way, how many touchdowns a week are there like that in the NFL? One? You know, like teams are just hitting the deep ball all the time, and Josh Allen's the only guy in the NFL not doing it. Like, I get it. Here's the thing that starts to fall on me a little, and I look at it from this standpoint, Pat. Like, this offense, we want to blame Brian Dable a lot. We want to blame Josh Allen. Brian Dable is dialing up two open touchdown deep shots a game and the quarterback isn't hitting them. So as much as we all want to blame Brian Dable for this offense being under being sub 20 points per game scored. Well, brother, they're scoring 19 points a game now. And Josh Allen's missing an average of two touchdowns a game. So like part of that's on the quarterback, part of it's on the offensive coordinator, but I can't get into this fire Dable situation because the guy is is putting 14 points on the board before the game starts and the quarterback can't get it there so you know at some point they're going to need to hit the deep ball for the just for the sanity of the fan base and internally i i think teams teams are starting to scheme around it and i think it's not necessarily becoming a topic of conversation within that locker room but let's not get it to a point where it does become a topic of conversation in the locker room you know unrelated because you talked about that at length Unrelated to our conversation, Bill's Twitter on Thursday has a video up of Josh Allen throwing a deep ball to John Brown at practice. Oh, I'm like, are you trolling? You know what, what your mentions, you, yeah, you know what your mentions are going to say on that. One more thing about Josh Allen, all right, I, and I'll tell you what, it doesn't necessarily scare me right now, but it certainly has my attention. I hear all the time, every time, if I ever drop any criticism about Josh Allen at all, I pretty much the mentions come back that you know uh-huh. he's, he's young, he's still learning. He's got plenty of time to improve. How much do quarterbacks really improve after 20 starts or say after two seasons as a starter? I was trying to think about it. I put something on Twitter earlier this week. I'm like, how many quarterbacks that were pretty mediocre? Because let's be honest here. That's what Josh Allen is right now is mediocre in comparison to the rest of the league. How many quarterbacks are mediocre their first two years as a starter? And then they go on and become stud quarterbacks for the rest of their career afterwards. Now there's Drew Brees. I mean, it's not unprecedented. Yeah. There's Drew Brees. There's Troy Aikman, Brett Favre, Terry Bradshaw. Those were some really good answers that I got. So I'm not saying that there's no precedent for it happening, but obviously it's not common. It's not common to to kind of, you know, for more or less kind of stink for, for two years and then become one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? So after three, four years or whatever, at least the majority of the time, if you're not, if you still got a lot of issues after your second year, there's again, chances are you, 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 there's not a lot of Drew Breeses out there throughout NFL history or, or Brett Favre's. You know what I'm saying? That concerns me. Right. No, 100%. And Drew Brees was the guy that I was going to bring up. I, I, I can't really, off the top of my head, name you another. Um, and yeah, that's concerning to me. And I, you know, part of me thinks, you know, we, the scouting report from college, how far off is it? You know, like, yeah. A lot of the struggles that people said he had in college, he's having in the NFL. Absolutely. A lot of the things that people said that he could thrive at doing in the NFL. Now, I don't think a lot of people thought that he was going to be the runner that he was early. But to me, that's where it starts, Pat. Yeah. He needs to be, they need to run the football more with Josh Allen. And I know people don't want to see these design runs. I'm fine with them. I want him to scramble more. Um, I think the part of the reason that Lamar Jackson's having so much success is outside those games against the Dolphins and Cincinnati Bengals, his passing numbers are pretty lame and pedestrian, right? Like he played the two worst defenses of football, had eight touchdowns and 400 and whatever yards passing. Other than that, he's been a pedestrian passer. The thing that nobody talks about with, with his passing is how much his running ability and how now Josh Allen is not the runner that Lamar Jackson is very different runners. But I think they could easily have similar success running the football in the NFL. Now, 
do you want your quarterback? Lamar Jackson ain't putting his shoulder down and running defender over like Josh Allen regularly does. But I'd like him to see the run the football more. And I think he's good at it. And I think the offense last year was playing at its best. And listen, everyone talks about the hero ball with Josh, right? Like Josh needs to play more of a team game and less hero ball. Well, I'm going to tell you what. He looked damn good last year when he was playing hero ball at the end of the season in Miami, scoring 42 friggin' points, right? Yeah. Like he looked damn good doing that. I'm fine with that. Go back to that because right now this point guard that you've got Josh Allen being, it's unnatural. It looks unnatural for him. So go back to what he's comfortable with. I'm going to tell you what, Cole Beasley and John Brown, I'm going to continue beating the table about this. Each of those guys need 10 targets a game. I don't need excuses on why they're not getting those 10 targets. If they get 10 or more targets a game to each of those guys, the Bills offense is going to benefit. All right, let's take a quick break so I can tell you about one of our show sponsors, Pulse Cellular. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you'll have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast to coast with no contracts, no credit checks, no overage fees. One line for 65 bucks or four lines for just $45 each. That includes hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers out there, they got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 200 countries worldwide, all with the best phones, or you can bring your own. That's pretty awesome stuff. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. And let's get back to the podcast. I'll tell you, I I feel like the scouting reports for Josh Allen coming out of college aren't really that wrong either. I oh, th- I think yeah. he's a, I think he's a better runner, like you said, than he was given credit for, and he was also given a lot of credit for having this great cannon arm, which he does, but being able to launch a deep ball, which I mean, at least right now he's not. I think the one thing that is dead on accurate right now is that he has accuracy issues, and it seems to happen at oppor- inopportune times, I should say. And I'm I I'm confident. I mean, I think I can speak for you. We're not dismissing Josh Allen and saying he's done. Let's go into the draft next year. Let's trade up and let's go get somebody. But to sit here after 20 starts now and not have legitimate concerns about the guy, I just feel like that's being uninformative. And and again, you're just kind of like putting your head in the sand to to problems with this team right now. Because like you talked about, I think Philadelphia kind of dominated us from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But you said it, man. 17, you said 21 points. 18 points beats the Patriots. And, uh... Last week, you know, just a, an okay game. He hits that pass to McKenzie. He maybe he hits on one other pass uh, throughout the game that can the moves the chains and they score again. They win. They could easily be eight one right now. Now, sure, they won a couple games that they could have lost too. But point being is, if this offense is just even above average, slightly above average, yeah, we're talking. I feel like we're talking about an eight one team right now. I really do. Hundred percent, and and that's. To me, that's why I'm frustrated. It's not because Josh Allen isn't throwing for an average of 300 yards a game and three touchdowns. It's because all they need to do is be a little bit better, and they can't seem to find that. And that incremental change of being just slightly better than the worst offense it is so is so big right now because of the the, the lack of any real team. Like the Kansas City Chiefs look beatable, Pat. You know, sure. like the New England Patriots look beatable. Yes, they do. None of these teams in the AFC to me are remotely worry me like the Seahawks or the 49ers or the Saints or the Vikings. Or You name an NFC team, they'd be the best AFC. The top six NFC teams would be the best team in the AFC. And, you know, for a season that that's not going to happen all the time, I just really hope they don't squander that opportunity. I, I couldn't agree with you more. If you were to go back right now, okay, and redraft the 2018 class, you're the GM right now, and you can make up your own big board. I don't want, you know, well, let's see where he falls, okay? So you got Baker, of course. You got, And I'm going in order that they were drafted. So you got Baker, you got Darnold, you got Allen, you got Rosen, Lamar, and Mason Rudolph. If you were right now general manager, Nate Gary, and the league was getting rid of all the players, all the teams, and they were starting a brand new league, and you could have your own big board right now, where would you rank him? Like, where would Josh Allen fall on your big board? Are we talking about all of the quarterbacks just, in the league? Just, or just the rookies. Just the 2018 or the second year guys now. Those okay, six guys. Okay. B- Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen, Lamar, and Mason. It's got to be. To me, it's easy. It's Lamar. Um, because in that draft, too, you think about that draft, Bills could have stayed put, um, taken Lamar, not traded up. And um, 
it's the question becomes, do the Bills use Lamar Jackson the way that Lamar Jackson is being used in, in Baltimore? I have to give John Harbaugh and Greg Roman a ton of credit for just saying, you know what? Fuck it. We, this, yeah. th- if this is going to work, he's not going to sit back here, drop back five-step drops, and, and play pocket quarterback. He's going to be Lamar Jackson. And, and to be honest with you, and, and, and he, they were kind of talking about this last week, is you know Lamar is sort of like the Stephen Curry of of the NFL, and he's sort of changing the way people look at the quarterback position. It, the change has been underway for some time now about just how the quarterback position is being played. Kyler Murray is another example of this, Pat, and and I like both players a lot because of the the sort of athletic ability they bring to the position. But I'll tell you what, I haven't seen a thrower like how Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. Um, are the future at the quarterback position. And I think I'd take either one of those guys um, right now if I had the opportunity. Well, I, okay, let's say I, I agree with you, by the way. I have Lamar Jackson first. After that, that's where it gets a little dicey with Josh Allen. Where would you have him? Second? Would you have him third, fourth? Would you have Probably Baker? third. Um, I still really believe in Baker. I'm a big Baker fan, I'm a Baker stan. Um, I really like Baker at number two, Allen three, and Darnold and uh, Rudolph in that uh, in that order. I think I think Sam Darnold's taken a, a major step back. I think a lot of that has to be due to uh, to Adam Gase and good for the Jets coming out midway through 2019 and saying, ah, you know what, <laughs> Adam Gase coming back for 2020, baby, let it burn. <laughs> you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Josh Allen and some of the inconsistencies and negative parts of his game. He's not really the biggest disappointment. I don't think he is anyway on the Bills right now. Arnold. Like if you had to pick one one guy right now oh, on, the Bills. on the Bills, if you had to pick one guy on the team where you would say based on what you thought going into this season, he this guy would give you, who would you consider the biggest disappointment? And by the way, I mean we're like 45 minutes into a podcast right now, and again, I admit this is it's kind of weird. We're talking about a 6 and 3 football team, but there's just a lot of negative shit going on with this team yeah. right now, you know what I mean? But you kind of can't help it. And I guess that's what happens when you go out and, and you lose to a two and six team that everyone feels like you should have beat. But anyway, I don't think it's Josh Allen personally, but if you had to pick one guy right now, you are most disappointed with for whatever reason it may be, who would it be on the bills? Come on. It's gotta be Robert Foster. Right. Um, and if it's not Robert Foster, I think I go to a place of, if it's not Robert Foster, Trent Murphy's an easy one. I, and, and maybe two, I look at Ed Oliver. Um, yeah. I, I was expecting Ed Oliver to be like a game changer. I was expecting him to sort of come in. Listen, though, none of the defenders other than Nick Bosa have come in and really been anything right. You know, again, Quinton Williams has been invisible yeah. uh, when he's been on the field and he's been injured a lot. Um, so you look at some of the defensive tackles and ends. Josh Allen is doing pretty well um, in, in Jacksonville. But yeah, like some of these defensive linemen and edge players just didn't have the type of season that I think a lot of people anticipate this rookie class would. Um, but Trent Murphy has been really disappointing to me. He's, he's supposed to be the sack guy. And, you know, you, you look out there and you start to question his, um, you start to question whether or not this is a guy that's like giving his full effort out there, which you never want to do. Right. Um, but yeah, Trent Murphy, but I, I think the easy question here to, or the easy answer here definitely has to be Robert Foster because I know me, I was expecting Robert Foster to take the step to be this team's number one receiver and then have John Brown, number two and Beasley, number three. And it hasn't worked out that way. And not only has it worked out that way, it took nine weeks, 10 weeks for him to get his first catch. So not great. Yeah, I agree with you there. I would have said Robert Foster as well. Do you think that the bills maybe because of the great start that they had, if fans got a little overly spoiled too quickly, I'm going to elaborate a little bit here. You know, despite, they did a lot of stuff in the offseason. They rebuilt the line. They go out, they get two receivers. They did a lot. They have a top 10 pick in the draft. The guy who figured, you know, he'd come in and have an impact. After all that, Vegas, right before the season started, still only had the Bills at six and a half wins. You know, I'd surmise, like, the majority of Bills fans would have been, like, maybe not happy, but at least satisfied if the team went eight and eight on the season. And I'm talking a couple months ago, not after the first month into the season. And let's just say Josh Allen had a decent season. Maybe he gets 27 to 30 total touchdowns, 3,400 yards passing, 3,500, something like that. His first full season as a starter. I feel like a couple months ago, fans would have been all right with that. But as things stand right now, you know, Josh Allen is on pace to hit like right around those marks. But now if the Bills were to finish eight and eight, the vibe I get is many fans are going to lose their mind at eight and eight season at this point. And if that happens, 
I mean, we're having a kind of a civil Josh Allen conversation right now where I think the majority of people at least listen, who are listening are going to be kind of civil on how they treat it, but they might not be at the end of the year if the Bills only finish 8-8. Eight and eight. 100%. Oh, man. Yeah, like, absolutely. If they finish 8-8, eight and eight, it would be a colossal failure, and more than just the offensive coordinator is going to be on the chopping block this offseason. I'm going to tell you that much. But, um, yeah, you know, I look at it, I look at it from uh, a, few, a few points with this team is I still think that they have the ability to win 10 games. They need to win 10 games because, quite frankly, if they don't, I think that's a colossal failure. I thought going back two weeks, three weeks ago, before the Eagles game, I saw 11 to 12 wins that they took care of business um, against the Eagles and the Browns. They don't take care of business in either of those games. Now the rest of the schedule looks a little bit more difficult. Miami's winning football games now. The Pittsburgh Steelers have one of the top defensive units in football, and their quarterback isn't beating them. Um, you look at uh, some of the other teams that are remaining on the schedule, too, that you were thinking. Denver, right, with Brandon Allen. They go and beat Cleveland. Cleveland just beat you. So you're not as feeling as good about that Denver game as you were before. You still have the Patriots. You still have the Jets. So it's like, you know, at some point here, you're starting to worry, is this team going to be able to win enough to get to the playoffs? And they should get to 10 wins. If they don't, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot more questions than um, that, than answers, and that's for certain. And 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 I hope that that's not the case, but I'm not going to put it past this team. I just I haven't seen enough from them to make me confident that this is a book it ten win team. Let's talk about Miami briefly on Sunday. I'm frankly I'm a little bit scared of them right now. They they have won two in a row, and honestly, were not for a couple of Trey White plays, they probably would have won three in a row. They got yeah. Patrick. I mean, this guy. He could be the worst player on the field or he could be the best player on the field any given week. And we've are certainly in Buffalo more than anywhere else. I've seen both sides of that. You know, he has those three or four games a year where he plays out of his mind, out of his skull. And the Bills had a problems with him just a couple weeks ago. I'm legitimately concerned about this game on Sunday. Just the vibe, the whole mood, that Cleveland game on the road. I'm a lot. I thought this was a gimme game. I don't know if it is anymore, man. What's your level of concern going into this? Or am I being a, am I being a little oversensitive to what I've seen with the Bills over the last handful of days? I don't think you're being oversensitive. I think we're at a totally interesting place with the Miami Dolphins because they are not embracing this tank mentality. They're out there sort of like, you know, us against the world mentality. And that's a dangerous mentality to have with the football team that's now beginning to believe in themselves, but maybe more importantly, believing in their quarterback. And that's, that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick signifies is sort of the uh, he is the a tanking team's worst nightmare is having Ryan Fitzpatrick start football games because he is going to leave everything out on the football field. They're home. Bills fans are going to be filling uh, Hard Rock Stadium. You can bet that's going to happen. But at the end of the day, if you're off, if your defense can't stop the running game of, of the Miami Dolphins like it was in the first matchup, it's going to be a long day because Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be able to utilize the play action. It's going to be able to get those linebackers moving up to open up the zones behind them. And all Ryan Fitzpatrick needs a little bit of space. He's going to throw to guys that are uh, that are um, that are covered, that are open. Doesn't matter. The thing that I'll point to that makes me feel better about this matchup: no Preston Williams. Preston Williams had a day against the Bills. The next week ended up with two touchdowns and then tore his ACL and is out for the season. So they won't be having their best young receiver. And I think that's a big plus for the Bills um, going into this matchup this week. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know who's going to be out there, but whoever it is that's out there for Miami catching the ball. They're going to go after Levi Wallace. They did it a couple of weeks ago. Levi Wallace has not answered the battle the last couple of weeks. Was not very good against um, Cleveland either. If there's a guy in that, on that defense that I feel like you need to be worried about, Levi Wallace is that guy, at least for me is anyway. Yeah, you know, Levi hasn't played great. I also don't think he played as poorly as people. People saw the last play, the last touchdown that they gave up um, and to, to Higgins, and he... He got spun cycled on. There's no question he got beat. That was a bad play. Um, but the other one that that was to Jarvis Landry that got him down to the red zone, that is a beautiful throw. The touchdown he led up to Landry, that's a beautiful throw, and he's well covered. Sometimes cornerbacks just get beat. It's just the way that it goes. And, you know, they're not going to win at the same percentage. Not every cornerback. Trey White is an all-pro player. And I've been saying that for, for the better part of two years now. And now that it's coming to fruition on the, on the box score and not just – week by week, shutting down opposing receivers, you're to, to put him up against and say Levi Wallace, well, of course, he's not as good as Trey. Well, well, of course he's not. You know, like how many corners in the league are? Yeah, so not many. They've got a, he, he's a good serviceable starting caliber corner. And of course, teams are not throwing at Trey White. So who else do they have to throw to? He's getting tested way more than he did last year. 
And he's not winning at a 90% clip like he did last season. He's winning at like a 65% clip. But guess what? He's still winning more times than not. And, and that's what I'm looking at with Levi Wallace. I think Wallace is fine. I'm not part of the group that's calling for Kevin Johnson to get more playing time. I like the rotation they have. That was a good set of receivers last week, man. Probably the best two receivers they'll play the rest of the way out this season. Um, and, and that doesn't fall. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't fall on my deaf ears. That's for sure. Two more questions and then we'll wrap up here. Still lots of season left. Seven games, including this Sunday, at least seven more games. Hopefully one or more if the Bills get end up making the playoffs. I'm sure we'll see some moderate improvement from some players. Maybe a little regression from a couple as well as we get down the stretch. Probably nothing crazy. though. I think for the most part, what you see is what you're going to get for the rest of this season. Anyway, let's look ahead a little bit beyond the season. Well, I got you on here, okay? Going into the mm-hmm. offseason, as things stand right now, again, nobody jumps off the charts who hasn't already, and nobody falls from grace, you know, who's up there right now. Going into this offseason, as things stand right now, what do you think the Bills' biggest offseason priorities will and should be? Continue building the offensive line, rebuild the defensive line, and add to the wide receiver position. And I think it's in that three. I think if they went into the next season with the same group of wide receivers, and let's say they they draft one of the 100 really good wide receivers that are going to be available next year in the NFL draft, I'm fine with that. And then they spend money on defensive tackle, getting another one technique, um, getting a a, a legitimate pass pressure. Maybe maybe Janavian Clowney doesn't re-sign in Seattle. I am ready for this team to throw big money at someone. Um, I prefer it be a pass rusher. I think a trade is still very much available to the Bills this offseason. Um, there are going to be teams looking to unload. Uh, the, the Chargers could be one of them. The Chargers might be looking to draft a young quarterback, um, and they might be willing to you know, trade a player away. I don't know. So I, I, I am all about the Bills going all in on rebuilding that defensive line. They need to continue adding to the offensive line, whether that – I'd like them to lock up Quentin Spain long-term. I think he's been a very nice, pleasant surprise at left guard. Um, I'd like to see them maybe look at that right guard and right tackle position and figure out what, what, what they're doing there. Um, but keep building that offensive line and then obviously the wide receiver position, which I think they really can take care of during uh, during the draft. All right. One last question here. OK, several times throughout this podcast, we've alluded to the Bills getting the 10 wins. That's kind of been like the ongoing discussion for the entire season, not just this podcast, but any Bills fans, period. Let's just go ahead. And I, I feel like we shouldn't do this, but we're going to anyway. We're going to give them the we're going to give them Miami. We're going to give them Denver and we're going to give them the Jets game, the finale at home in Orchard Park. That gets, nine. You, that gets you to nine. OK, so now you got four left. You got Baltimore at home. You got at Dallas. You got at Pittsburgh and you got at New England. By the way, I feel like that Pittsburgh game on the road might end up being the most important game of the year. But anyway, you take those four opponents that would be left. You got to get to 10. I want you to power rank them in order of most likely to find another win against these teams to the least likely out of those four, because you got to win one of them if you want to get to 10. And I'll tell you what, I would have thought nine and seven, maybe two, three weeks ago, would definitely get it done to make a wild card spot. I'm not so sure anymore. But with Pittsburgh and Oakley coming on and Indy right there too, I think you might need to get to 10, but let's just say you do for the sake of discussion. You need 10. You need 10. Yeah, you need um, 10. And you need me to power rank. You said the Ravens, New England, Pittsburgh, and who? Yeah, uh, you got Baltimore at home, at Dallas, at Pittsburgh, and at New oh, Dallas, York. right. I always forget about Dallas. Okay, here's the hierarchy of the, the top to bottom. I think the Ravens are the best. I think the Patriots are right there. I think they're number two. And then I've got Pittsburgh, and then I've got Dallas. I'm not a Dallas believer. I think the Bills and Dallas match up very well on Thanksgiving. I think the Bills win in Dallas on Thanksgiving. Um, I, I believe that. I don't think they're that good of a team. So um, I think they can get to win, uh, by, get to 10 by just beating uh, the Dallas Cowboys. I also am just not a believer of Mason Rudolph. Um, I don't think they can move the football. It's whether or not Nick Fitzpatrick, the Bills still can just keep the ball away from him. So I still think they get to 10. I, I, I think that they either, they're going to win either the Dallas-Pittsburgh game. I could see them winning both. Um, which would bring you to what? 11 if you yeah. won both of those games. Yep. So yeah, like you could still win 11 games. There's easy, I don't want to say there's an easy route, but there's definitely not a super difficult route to 11 wins. All right, man. Good stuff. Everyone give Nate a follow on Twitter at Nate Gary WGR. Follow him at your own risk, of course, on Twitter. Check him out Saturdays at 11 a.m. and also Sunday mornings. Buffalo Bills pregame with his boy, Joe DiBiase. Good stuff, bro. I really appreciate you coming on and doing the podcast. I'll tell you, man, 
as soon as this Josh Allen, Tyrod Taylor stuff started going on like midweek, I'm like, you're the perfect person to talk to about this. I said, I got to get Nate on. So I called you up. I said, yo, let's do this. In fact, the, that same day. And you were like, all right, cool. Let's go. So I always appreciate I'm in. You. you know, I'm always in brother. You know, I'm always in, always happy to talk ball wings, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm just a, a text message or a phone call away, man. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Big thank you again, my man, Nate Gary from WGR 550. Always fun to hook up and talk with Nate. You know what else is fun? You guys subscribing to this podcast, subscribing, rating, review, all that stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast tremendously. Of course, you can catch us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found got new shows every tuesday and every friday and when you subscribe you're going to get them before anyone else does also go hit up the more analytics podcast youtube channel got podcast highlight clips from current and past shows up there tons of new original audio content exclusive to that channel not going to hear it anywhere else including this podcast by the way i got some chicken wing stuff going up really soon some reviews some rankings things like that audio versions and uh I think you're going to enjoy that a lot. I'm putting up stuff there at least a couple times a week now. Again, hopefully you're enjoying it. We're Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe, hit that little bell next to it as well to get notifications when new stuff is released. Then, of course, last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamaran Tweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, prize pack giveaways, which, by the way, we'll have a new one next week. Thoughts, arguing with people. All kinds of stuff going on there. Again, at Pamaran Tweets. Thank you for listening. I end the show by saying it every single time because I really mean it, man. I, I appreciate each and every single one of you good people who take time from your day. Don't care where you are. The car, the office, the gym, the toilet. I don't care. You're listening to the podcast. You're taking time from your day. And it means the world to me. I'm very very thankful for that. Have a good weekend. We'll be back Tuesday. I'm sure we'll be talking Bill's Miami recap. Tons more for you. Talk to you soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.